0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th.
2: Soccer
3: Show's European Championships coverage, Day 7. In Bucharest, we were impressed with Ukraine, who are at their best, but North Macedonia have failed in their quest to stay in this contest. In Copenhagen, we discovered the true secret to Roberto Martinez's Belgium strategy. It's bringing on Kevin De Bruyne. And... When two tribes go to war, the Netherlands tend to score against Austria, Austria. Yes, Frankie said relax as the Dutch turned it up to the max. That lovely tune, yes, oh my god. That one comes because we learned on the commentary of this game, Netherlands against Austria, that Frankie de Jong was named after the 80s pop group Frankie Goes to Hollywood. That is mind-blowing. Lots of other mind-blowing stuff coming on this podcast. My name is Ryan Bailey, and joining me today is the Total Soccer Show equivalent of Kevin De Bruyne. We're lost without him. Taylor Rockwell.
2: Hi, Ryan. I might sound a little muffled. It's because I'm refusing to take my head out of my hands for that introduction. That was outstanding work by you. Uh, <laughs> not just because you just compared me to Kevin De Bruyne, who had a ridiculous game, and I will take that comparison every single time. Now my ego's confused.
3: Are you a head hands because you hated it or loved it so much?
2: Yes. <laughs> 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 so much negative that it became impressive and positive. It's basically how that played out.
3: It was both wonderful. All right. <laughs> With us also is Total Soccer Shows Vault Vancorse because he had an opportunity to take some shots at me yesterday but he didn't take any shots. Graham Rudman.
4: Oh, I'm just throwing them up for today, Ryan. I'm just throwing them up for today. <laughs> Get them in before things turn sour tomorrow. Uh that's that's my that's my ethos here.
3: Ah, oh, let's keep it friendly up until that point, Graham. How about that? Um, I'm I'm just joking. You're more of a of a pandev because you're just so classy. Very classy both of you, I'd say. You've got more hair
2: though.
4: <laughs> uh, thankfully yeah thankfully i do
2: <laughs> graham this feels like a trap graham this feels like a trap i just need you to know that he's setting you up he's being nice i don't trust it
3: yeah neither oh. do i the work's <laughs> going to be done thousands of miles from here taylor in that respect i don't have to do a thing about that uh, and with us also on the show of course is total soccer shows alexander
5: zinchenko he's entertaining he's multi-purpose he's our star player joe lowry Oh, Ryan, if only I had the left foot of Alexander Zinchenko. My uh, my life probably would have gone very, very differently to this point. Hold on. If if Joe is Zinchenko and
4: Taylor is De Bruyne, this isn't <laughs> going to work because you never see them on in the same room and certainly not on the <laughs> same, <laughs> same podcast.
2: I mean, you don't see us right now, do you? Maybe it's just like Joe doing two different voices. He's gotten really good at doing an impression of me and I've gotten really good at doing one of him and we just trade off. Uh, <laughs>
3: that would be
4: quite the catfish
3: well uh joe you mentioned' having a having a good left foot and someone who's very talented at soccer and maybe not Talented in other areas Was Jack Grealish Who uh, you saw Maybe maybe you saw Went viral He was asked a question About whether uh, he, I think that An interviewer said He had an encyclopedic Knowledge of soccer uh, He responded by Not knowing what An encyclopedia was And I think that's I, I'm, I'm not really get, I'm not going to Pile on Jack Grealish here Because I think It's completely fair enough Because I'll ask you All a question here How many of you Have actually Physically used A paper encyclopedia I have never Done it myself The closest thing I got when I was younger Was in car 95 yes. was a cd rom uh, which was like an on uh, a, a cd by the way joe is a sort of form of digital media it's a circular thing which has stores oh, media on it yeah there okay. you go um so taylor did and you're, you're a learned man your your apartment smells of rich mahogany um, have you ever used an encyclopedia have you got encyclopedia britannica
2: like 26 volumes behind you as you speak I do not. I did at one point in my life. My parents bought a set from a traveling uh, salesman. So we had them up until I think, well, we had them for like most of my life. But I think I stopped using them around elementary school. Maybe middle school is when I had to to use them for like various reports that we had to do. And I, and I remember them being very specific knowledge. The internet is definitely good for broader knowledge, although sometimes maybe too broad.
4: I don't understand why they why, when encyclopedia is not allowed to be sold in shops, why were they sold by traveling salespeople?
2: I, I guess because it's, like, such a set that you have to, like, have them shipped. But, but the reason you could do that, that from a store. I don't really yeah, know. I guess no one goes that, out looking for encyclopedias is my it, answer.
4: It seems like there's more logic to have them in a store so you don't have to carry around the set.
3: Um, does that mean the salesman's walking around carrying huge books? That doesn't sound very practical for him as well. It does That's sound... I, mean. I was going to call it up, um, Taylor, because it does sound like the most American thing in the world. Did the man, like, open the white picket fence to your uh, suburban house before he st- tried to sell you these books? maybe <laughs> <laughs> how about What's you joe uh, <laughs> joe
5: encyclopedias I, I have used an encyclopedia i have some relatives that have the complete set i don't think they bought it from a traveling salesman but i could be completely off on that uh, but but they don't really play too big a part in my life anymore i was more of a thesaurus guy as a kid you know thesauruses oh. are where it's at everybody
3: they are they are as a fan of wordplay i'm with you joe uh, uh, graham you, you you did that little excited gasp when i mentioned in Carter. Yeah, I used to love Encarta.
0: No, it's,
4: <laughs> it's probably great. a very uncool thing to say, but I, I, I thought that I thought Encarta was
3: great. I remember when we had to do homework when I was in um in, in my younger years, and you were asked to research something, and every single person came in with the same two sentences from Encarta, <laughs> which were <laughs>
2: describing the thing we had to look up. Uh, was Encarta a thing out here, Taylor? Yeah, I think so. I, I feel like I remember that as well, and I remember that being the. The like height of technology that instead of having the twenty-six books that were all like fifteen pounds each, you just had it all on the computer, and that was mm. very strange and seemed odd, but was pretty awesome. I do I do feel bad for Jack Grealish, though, because we've talked about this weirdly on the show recently, and I still don't know the term for when you have like a, a term that still exists but the thing it's referring to like no longer does it happens a lot with phones and dialing mm. and dial tones and things like that encyclopedias feel like that as well i'm not really surprised that jack greelish doesn't know what they are
3: if the interviewer said you are you have a wikipedia-esque knowledge there we i think go. that would have been much fairer contest wouldn't it i'm, I'm with you there taylor i'm with you it's, it's he's, not- he's
2: big on wikipedia the star wars one but yeah i think that would have worked for sure <laughs> oh boy yeah okay <laughs> uh, Yeah, I threw a Ryan Bailey curveball at you. Now you don't know what to do.
3: (laughs) I was trying to think of another thing that rhymed. I was thinking Rookiepedia, but he's not a rookie. Anyway, shall we move on? We've spent long enough not talking about Ukraine versus North Macedonia. It's about time we got to that, gentlemen. This one taking place, as I mentioned, in Bucharest. Ukraine's first win at the European Championships since 2012. Uh, When they were hosting, they beat Sweden in their opening game in that one. Both goals in that game, Graham? Andrei Shevchenko, that's right. Uh, they've lost six straight Euro games uh, <laughs> since that one, since getting to this win. Uh, North Macedonia, as I mentioned, meanwhile, are the first team officially out of the competition. First half goals here from Andre Myamalenko and Roman Yeramchuk uh, sealing the win. Uh, Graham, I'll come back to you. This one was a lot of fun. It was more fun than I expected.
4: Yeah, it was, and for me, this was. Hear me out on this one. This was major tournament soccer at its peak. It was Ukraine versus North Macedonia at two p.m. at the UK time on a weekday, a game that you would never nor- normally watch, um, and it turns into a bit of a spectacle and has you cheering for a team you'd you'd barely be able to pick a player out of a police lineup before the tournament. <laughs> By the end, you're cheering for them, and and really, that's what major tournaments. Are all about and and it started off quite poorly for North Macedonia despite the fact that actually I thought in the first half their defensive shape was 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 pretty decent but it, after a while it, it became kind of the the Yarmalenko and the the Yerimchuk show um, running it for Ukraine. But and to, be, to be fair, in the second half, they came back as again and uh, they were much better in the second half. I think Tchaikovsky probably shouldn't have been dropped for this game. He was he was very positive in the second half. And as I say, by the end of it, I was very much willing North Macedonia on to, to score a second goal.
3: Unfortunately, it, it didn't arrive. Yeah, you're right. And they were much better in the second half. But ultimately, you could see they weren't of the quality of other teams this tournament i think they you know misplacing passes a few poor touches and taylor the defending wasn't Hmm. the best on either of those goals
2: no i mean i think they were they were caught in a couple different mindsets uh with with at least the first goal probably the second one as well of trying to sort of keep the the mid block they were going for but have a little bit of the positional fluidity but i think that did mean that when they got stretched they got very stretched and when uh And when Ukraine were able to play quickly, I think they played right through them uh, early and often. And that was, I'm with Graham, sort of, it was an even opening uh, segment of the game that I think quickly became all about Ukraine. And then it was difficult for North Macedonia to come back from that one. But yeah, usually you want to track your runners. That is a good thing. I understand, like, hoping the offside is going to be there. But with VAR, there's no real reason to like hold up and assume it's going to be there because either it will or it won't but it's going to get caught similar to getting a yellow card for complaining which did happen in the netherlands austria game it's like there's no real point in complaining to the referee about an, an offside not being given or being given because the er is going to be there there's no there's no point in getting a card when computers are just going to fix everything
3: joe your thoughts on north macedonia and the fight they put up in this contest and indeed in this tournament so far one thing I was wondering, and maybe you have some perspective on this, is our
5: Finland expert Joe. Who's better? Who's better quality out of those two teams? Ooh, that's a great question, Ryan, because from a from a bird's eye view, there are a ton of similarities. Eagle owls these teams. view, team. thank you. <laughs> yeah, from an Eagle Owl view, from, from Booby's view, right? We see the 3-5-2, the 5-3-2 for both of these teams. Right? They're they're both underdog teams coming into this tournament. Uh, they haven't really been at this stage. They're both playing mostly defensive. I th- I think North Macedonia has been a little bit more impressive so far and Finland obviously get that win but there's the whole cloud around that opening game against Denmark and, and so Finland are-, are much more likely to advance given that North Macedonia can't advance at this point but I- I've liked what North Macedonia bring to the table I-, I love Alyoski as that left wing back I think he brings so much I've really enjoyed Elmas and, and I agree I think it was Graham who said that, that Tchaikovsky should have started further up the field and, and he, come- he comes on in the second half and Elmas can then shift a little bit deeper and get more touches, but I like Elmas. I've liked Barardi as well in midfield I think they bring a lot, and, and the fact that they started this game trying to go toe-to-toe with Ukraine, who are one of the more expansive teams, at least among the smaller-ish nations in this, in this tournament, historically speaking I think the fact that they went out and tried to press aggressively for the first 15-20 minutes out of that 5-3-2 I, I give them all that credit for that, and I genuinely enjoyed watching them in these first two games uh, Graham, I want to get to
3: Ukraine very shortly, but we've buried the lead with North Macedonia. You know what I want to talk about, don't you? Go on, tell <laughs> us about it. Is it
4: perhaps the the cone training drill before yes. kickoff? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, if they want to have fun at a major tournament, then I say we let them. But from a footballing perspective, I'm not entirely sure what 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 that is giving them. To be quite Wait. honest, um, I Wait. was waiting for them to break it open in the last uh, break open that
3: tactic in the last ten minutes, but unfortunately, that <laughs> never happened.
4: So i missed be, this what, what clear,
5: was this, this is, guys?
3: yeah I'll, I'll explain they had uh training cones they turned them upside down put a ball inside the cone and they'd <laughs> run along and the object was when they reached the end of their run to throw the balls in the air to each other and switch <laughs> balls in the cones that was <laughs> that's it. awesome that's
2: awesome this is where i'm going to interject to say that uh i used to coach uh for a, a organization called soccer shots here in the u.s mm. uh like they coached anywhere from like two-year-olds up to I think like 10-year-olds and that was a drill that we would have like the three-year-olds do (laughs) like to to practice coordination and timing and teamwork so three-year-olds and North Macedonians uh, I guess both good at very very good at making ice cream cones which is what (laughs) we would tell them to do.
3: That's exactly ice cream cone is the look and I figured it was like a concentration thing it was a like a switch your brain on bit of fun which um, Mm -hmm. you know England ride on blow up unicorns in swimming yeah. pools to get that kind of thing, I think. So I, I can certainly appreciate that. Taylor, let's, let's talk about Ukraine, though. Okay. Um, lots of pressure they applied in the first half, backed off a little bit in the second half and let, let um, Macedonia in a little bit more, didn't they? They're inviting the pressure a bit. But overall, entertaining. Entertaining.
2: Yeah, and I think also an important performance, not just because they get the win in the three points, but because for me, I had some questions about the team or specific players like Bushan, the goalkeeper, I did not think had a very good game against the Netherlands. I think you could hold him responsible for all three of the goals if you really wanted to. And in this one, instead, he seemed like a very reliable shot stopper for the Ukraine, mm-hmm. and that was the thing they needed, and I thought he made some big saves. I thought Stepanenko in the middle w- was a nice change, and he did very well. I thought Malinowski out wide also uh, had an influence, but it was the kind of players that we saw previously, once again, uh, having a very big influence, Yarmolenko being one. And Zinchenko, though he doesn't get on the score sheet, though he doesn't get credit for an assist, You can see, and I would say there's a couple players in this tournament who are like this, you can see the influence of playing under a manager like Pep Guardiola, specifically Pep Guardiola in his case, just how fast he plays, how quickly he plays on the turn, how often he's checking his shoulder and looking for things. And it's crazy to see one player playing at club level for a manager who is that demanding and that specific, but also that instructional and how it sort of... Impacts what he is for his national team because, yes, he, he can play central for City, but he seemed to be the main operator for Ukraine in the centre of midfield today. He
3: was. He was the Joe Lowry of the whole operation, right, Joe? <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, you know it. Come on, Ryan.
3: You know it. <laughs> um, Joe, we, we were talking yesterday about the big man uh, and, and the problems of the big man in this tournament, and we had Yaremchuk up top here. Not quite, maybe not quite the same big man as we've seen for other teams, but to a more serious point, is that becoming more of, you know, we talked about 5 three, 2 becoming a bit of a trend. Has that been quite an important trend? Is that going to be a more important trend going forward? The return of the big striker, uh, you know, maybe beating the press by lobbing the ball over to him?
5: I do think we're going to see more and more big number nines in club soccer, right? Because it's easy to think about big men in the international game, and we've seen it at this tournament. I don't I don't think I would categorize Juremchuk in that, I don't think I'd put him in that category, but... We're seeing he's that big. he's big, but he he plays like a much smaller number nine, doesn't he? he the way he moves yeah. and runs, he'll exploit that space. I mean, that's how he scores the goal. Ukraine do a great job of pulling Alioski out on on North Macedonia's left their right side, and then it's a one touch pass into Yaremchuk, who's making a nice little run in between Alioski and that ball side center back, and it's a good finish to to make it two nil. It's it's a great run from him. But Ryan, to answer your question. I think because we're seeing more and more high pressing teams in soccer now, and I guess 2020 and 2021 were a little bit weird in that way because I think we saw a slight decline in pressing, high pressing at least. I think as we do see that number return to normal, it's going to be a a more appealing option to find yourself a Daryl DK type, to find yourself a Kiefer Moore type for Wales to use an actual Euro number nine. I I think it's going to be more and more appealing to play over that pressure and and then advance the ball quicker. Soccer is cyclical. That's one of the things I like to say. Soccer is just this big cycle of tactics. And every once in a while, something new gets tossed in there and then it gets adapted and and teams figure out how to adjust to that. and, And then you're right back where you started 30 years ago. And I think we're going to go back to the nineties and and before here before too too long.
3: Yeah, you're right. Soccer is cyclical, just like fashion, my skinny jeans aren't cool anymore. That's what the Gen Z (laughs) folks are all saying. Gotta get rid of I've got to do a center parting and have baggy jeans now, Joe, is that right?
5: Uh let's not go too far to the other extreme, (laughs) Ryan, yeah? Let's let's find that sweet spot.
3: You're quite right there. Wise words indeed, Joseph. As always, Ukraine versus North Macedonia. That was Ukraine sitting on three points in second place in Group C at the moment. When we come back after these short messages, Denmark's battle with Belgium.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right.
1: courtside seats to an NBA game and more head over to Michelob slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, we are back.
3: Denmark against Belgium in Copenhagen. Belgium, with a 2-1 win, confirmed their place in the final 16. Denmark, meanwhile, need to beat Russia in their final group game and hope for the best. It was a Yusuf Paulsen early goal that got uh, the stadium at Parken very excited. But Belgium, they turned it on in the second half when, uh, as I mentioned, Kevin De Bruyne came off the bench. He and Thorgan Hazard getting the goals here. But, of course, the big context here was 25,000 Danish fans in the stadium. Um, lots of um, celebration and celebration and hope for Christine Erickson, who six days ago collapsed on, collapsed on this very field. We've learned today as well, gents, that Erickson's going to be implanted with a mini defibrillator device. I'm not a doctor. I'm not really sure exactly what it is, but it, it it will monitor his heart activity. It's a very similar device to what Daily Blint has, uh, his former iX teammate, and who has been using it at this tournament too. Joe? Yeah, did you jump uh, in Yeah,
5: yeah, it's it's. I'm not a I'm not a doctor either. But looking at that, it's it's kind of a heart starter, and so it's it's encouraging to see Christian Eriksen being stable and, and having improvements done. And it, it was it it almost gave me chills to watch the beginning of this game because Graham, you said it so well yesterday. It feels weird, and it felt weird to be watching Denmark and talking about Denmark in a soccer context, in an on field context, hmm. and you see all those fans in the stands with the signs and in the chants. And then when Josef Paulsen scores that opener two minutes into the game, that that almost gave me chills because Denmark started so well and played so well for much of this game. Just the moment behind the moment and the goal and every piece of the opening stages of this game was just so beautiful. And it would have been a little bit more beautiful if Denmark had actually won this whole thing. But man, they should be proud of of how they played and how they responded from that really, really challenging moment.
3: Yeah, absolutely agree with that. I I was quite emotional when they got that goal early on, and I think it was a very emotional um, uh, occasion in general, which may have affected Belgium's start to the game, which we can talk about later on. But Taylor, first up, uh, you made a little prediction
2: about how the Danish would line up, did you not? I did. I, I Well, I guess so. I think we kind of like landed on it together as a unit. But yeah, I asked yesterday if there was a chance we'd see them in a back three, just because when they did have to sub out Ericsson, it didn't seem like the like-for-like change really worked that well or had that big of an impact. And so my question was, going against a team that we thought would be in a back three, which the Belgium were, does it make sense to match them? And it seems like that was Denmark's approach. What I didn't expect was for them to... We've seen a lot of like 5 three twos or 5 two threes. I wasn't expecting them to really be aggressive in it and really take the game to Belgium. And for at least the first half, I thought... That there, there was a lesson to be learned here for other teams who will play Belgium later on in the tournament that you can sort of go at them and make them uncomfortable. And I think teams that expect to have a lot of the ball and to be able to sort of try to break down a bunkered opponent, maybe they don't expect that, that aggressive approach from the start. And then that sort of went out the window because then they introduced what Kevin De Bruyne and Aiden Hazard and Axel Witzel. And it felt a little bit like, oh, that's <laughs> all you have to do then. That's how you, you deal with that onslaught is to just bring on some world-class players and then you find a way to win. Yeah, that was quite a good bench, really, wasn't it? From Belgium, I think they did okay
3: there. <laughs> yeah. Um, before we move on to Belgium, Graham, your thoughts on on Denmark and uh, and the rousing first half, certainly.
4: Yeah, I, th- I thought the intensity that they played um, with from the start was was so impressive. And, and the goal, I know we've spoken about the emotion of the goal already, but it really felt like that stadium and that team needed that that moment, just that mm. sort of release of of energy. I felt like that that almost helped. I mean, obviously it helped Denmark play because they're 1-0 up, but I, I felt like it almost helped them play a little bit better because they needed that release. But I thought Belgium, from the start, they looked really shaky defensively in the first half. Any Denmark ball into the channel was was dragging Alderweireld or Vertonghen out to, to places where they, where they didn't want to be. Um, and to be honest, even in the second half, um, I thought, obviously, Belgium bring on they're their big hitters um, and and you know it's a bit unfair of Belgium to play Kevin De Bruyne for a full 45 minutes I mean come on Belgium chill out um, what you can do in 45 minutes is quite incredible <laughs> but even even their game plan in the second half I thought they, they pretty much did what they could have done if you follow me to stop Belgium from, from getting turned I, th- I noticed that Simon Carr was was going to ground pretty much every time that, that Lukaku got the ball and and that was a sign of just how how he didn't want Lukaku to get turned. And so they they did their part in terms of stopping the Belgium game plan, even when things turned in the second half. So in, in, in both halves, I'm looking at the, the Denmark performance. I'm not entirely sure what more they could have done besides Martin Brathwaite maybe having a little bit more cutting edge. But even he, I, I thought he played well. It was a very intelligent performance from him. I like Brathwaite. He's, he's, a, he's a clever player. He, he finds space. He just
2: doesn't have that... That cutting edge of a true number nine. Graham, the only thing I would think is that like like cause I had in my notes, and this is maybe a little bit nitpicky, is just that anytime a team Go like change up their approach and are a bit more aggressive, are a bit more pressing. The question for me always becomes, can they keep doing that? And when they can't, how do they change their approach? And I think there were moments, uh, like, is it Voss who get, yeah, Voss gets that yellow card in the second half and has to be substituted off. And that for me was an interesting moment because in the first half and even earlier in the second half, he had made a lot of sliding challenges that were high risk, that were sort of like, if he gets this wrong, it's going to be a booking immediately. But pretty much every single time in the first half he he landed those, then he stops doing that, that in the second, and then he gets the yellow. So nitpicky maybe, but the only thing I could say is like maybe be more fit and be able to kind of keep that intensity up, because otherwise yeah. Belgium will eventually have the talent to play through.
3: Um, we learned from the commentary in the, in the Dutch game about Frankie de Jong's name origin. We learned in this game, well, I certainly learned, that Martin Braithwaite deals real estate in New York and New Jersey. <laughs> Did, any of, did anyone else know this? I, I looked it up. He's got some, uh, uh, some relatives who do real estate out here. And, and I think in Philadelphia, he's working on a project as well. It seems like he's got, um, he's got a backup plan going
2: there. Wow.
5: <laughs> who knew? So great. So great. Maybe I think. Would you so, rather have his backup <laughs>
2: plan or Jamie Vardy's uh, ownership interest in the Rochester Rhinos? <laughs> I mean, both Vardy. will be fruitful, surely.
4: Maybe it's a Danish thing, because isn't Thomas Gravison like some sort of superstar Vegas yeah. gambler, like professional gambler?
3: <laughs> he certainly did become one after retiring. Yeah, yeah, certainly so. Wow. Well, that was uh, anyway, apropos of nothing. But let's talk about Belgium, <laughs> shall we? Because they were very impressive indeed. Uh, Jason Dene excluded in that little mistake he made. Oh, two mistakes, let's say, for the, uh, for the opening goal. But um, Joe, your thoughts on what Belgium offered here? What I'd like to know really is it's it's maybe it's too simple to say that they turned it around because of their second health substitutions, particularly Kevin De Bruyne coming on um, for Dries Mertens and obviously making a difference. How how exactly did they turn it
5: around? Sure, yeah. We saw we saw little glimpses of them turning it around right before halftime. So I'm gonna I'm gonna set the scene here. We've talked about Denmark changing their shape, and they end up in this 3-4-3, essentially, is what it was, and they were pressing high and mirroring Belgium shape. And when you're mirroring someone else's shape, if both teams are in this 3-4-3... Three, you're presented with all these little man-to-man matchups. And Denmark were pressing man-to-man on the strong side where the the ball was, and they were really smothering Belgium when Belgium tried to build up. But because Denmark pushed up so high in the first half, they were doing that religiously, there was space behind their midfield line in front of their center backs that Belgium just couldn't find. And it took them until about the 40th minute for Lukaku to drop in between, into that space and get on the ball and then turn and go. Graham, you've talked about in the past how good Lukaku is when he's facing goal and running towards goal. Belgium didn't do that for the first 40 minutes. So they have that little bit of momentum coming off that last five minutes of the first half. And then in the second half, I think Roberto Martinez makes just a brilliant sub, not only because he brings on one of the best playmakers in the world and really in the history of soccer and Kevin De Bruyne, but because of where he puts De Bruyne on the field and where he puts Lukaku on the field. So Belgium are in this 3-4-3. They put De Bruyne on as the false nine, as an attacking midfielder, but they put him in the middle at the top of their attack. And they shift Lukaku out to the right side where Dries Mertens was, in the first half and by doing that you allow yourself to do two things you allow yourself to have Kevin De Bruyne in between the lines to give you that quality that you really lacked consistently in the first half and you also isolate Romelu Lukaku on an outside center back for Denmark and, and that wasn't happening in the first half right Lukaku was 1v2 so often with with Kair or with Christensen or with even Voss in the back line for Denmark and so you shift Lukaku into that right channel suddenly he can go 1v1. And then nine minutes after Roberto Martinez puts De Bruyne on, shifts Lukaku to the right, we get the goal that completely validates that approach with Thorgen Hazard scoring in that 54th minute. Belgium win the ball in their half. They play forward to Kevin De Bruyne as that false nine. De Bruyne draws Kyer out of the back and, and plays the ball wide to Lukaku with his first touch. Lukaku beats Vestergaard, that outside center back for Denmark, drives down the right wing. He's exploited that 1v1, cuts it back to De Bruyne, who then plays playmaker in the box and hits it over to Hazard to finish. It's it's a beautiful goal that is completely hatched with this tactical change and, and substitution that Roberto Martinez makes at halftime. It's just a brilliant move. We've seen him do it before, but it really paid off in this game.
3: Yeah, absolutely incredible. I thought that Kevin De Bruyne made Lukaku better, and you're quite right to pick out the way that Lukaku went wide, and it, it just seemed like he, he was really good in the build-up play. Lukaku, particularly his movement was quite excellent and I suppose that's due to you know the system as well as uh, having De Bruyne on the field with him Graham Graham your thoughts on that Belgium attack it seemed very very impressive what I'll say about Kevin De Bruyne as well is I really noticed his decision making was just top notch here like on the first goal he receives the ball from Lukaku and he sort of faints to shoot but he passes it off instead and then the second one it looks like he should take another touch but instead takes the shot first time as well and it's like these two things, he, he confounds expectation in both of those situations I, I thought it was very, very impressive Yeah, but both both decisions
4: were, were absolutely perfect, the, the, yeah. the first one I think is the the most eye-catching one because I wasn't expecting him to to play that pass and when he does you go, oh right, that was the simple and straightforward thing to do and of course it's <laughs> not simple and straightforward but that's, that's how he makes it look, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a massive fan of um, Lukaku, and I thought this this second half performance kind of showed a different side to his game. I've spoken a number of times about how you want to get him turned, but I also thought this this showed how well he can play as a an attacking apex, and you don't just want to spin him into the into the channel. And his build up play for both Belgium goals was was absolutely fantastic. So. Mm. I th- I think um, I I was not as hot on Belgium before this tournament as I think Ryan you were you might have been the hottest out of the lot a lot of us on Belgium I think you expected them to go quite far I I wasn't with really with you on that but this performance even though they were still a little bit slack in possession and they gave the ball up quite a lot in in, in that second half in their own half um, which kind of gave them to to Denmark again for the the final kind of 10 15 minutes despite that i think the the individual quality they have and not just the individual quality but the way that they mesh together and it wasn't just Lukaku and de bruyne it was hazard as well when he eden hazard i should say when he came on um and the difference
2: that he made so yeah can, uh, belgium seem to be growing into this tournament a little bit i think And it was even to me as though like they had the blueprint for what they wanted to do. They had the formation and sort of setup for what they needed. And then they just needed the person who could run that attack. And that was Kevin De Bruyne because I saw Belgium doing things that they wanted to do in the second half and the first half, but they didn't do them as effectively. And so when they would get the ball back, they would try to spread out and try to basically just open up Denmark to then find opportunities to play through or to possess through. But those weren't really happening, and and instead, what I saw was Belgium slowing down and really evaluating their options. But that lets Denmark drop in a little bit more. And in the second half, like the prime example would be, I think the assist for or the assist for the assist for the assist for the first goal when Kevin De Bruyne plays in Lukaku for the break in the beginning. It is him. I think it's one of those like one touch passes that the ball is is coming to him. He has his back to the field, but he somehow hits it first time going the opposite direction. And that sort of I think threw off Denmark completely. But also was the type of verticality and directness that was missing in the first half that sort of exposed Denmark and made them have to drop back really quickly and that's when mistakes start to happen once you've got your defendant defended once you've got your opponent let's go that route uh Mm -hmm. scrambling that's when I think further opportunities will be presented and then if you can exacerbate some of those little moments like Kevin De Bruyne does with one touch to sell two defenders you're going to open up space elsewhere and that's where the goal comes from so yeah Kevin De Bruyne very good Belgium very good Romelu Lukaku also very good uh, that's my overall summary for Belgium.
3: I think that's a pretty fine summary. And to double down on what Graham said, yeah, they, Belgium were my pick to win this, I think, when we did the previews. I, I still think I stand by that. What I'm interested in is, is something I'm interested in with a number of teams. One we're going to s- discuss next as well is how their frailties are exposed when they face a higher-caliber team in the knockout
2: phase. And Ryan, I'm- with... I'm surprised, I just had to clarify, I just had to add, I'm really surprised that that was what you agreed with from Graham because taken out of context, Graham did just say that uh, out of the lot of us, you were the hottest.
4: I I realised that (laughs) when I was saying that. I realised that if anyone was running one of those out of context Twitter accounts for Total Soccer Show, then that was going to do some numbers. (laughs) Well, if they weren't (laughs) running one, they're running one now, Graham.
3: (laughs) (laughs) All right, when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about the Netherlands against Austria. Back shortly.
1: Total Soccer Show, we
3: have returned. We are talking about the Netherlands battle with Austria in Amsterdam. This one finishing 2-0 to the Netherlands. They are now joining Italy and Belgium in the knockout stages. It's official. This was a pretty comfortable win in the end for the Dutch. It was a penalty from Memphis to getting them on the board, followed by, a, 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 can we call him a rising star of this tournament, Denzel Dumfries? He certainly seems to be involved in the majority of goals in this tournament from what I can see. This was his second goal that he scored, that's for sure. Uh, Squawker telling us Denzel Dumfries has scored as many goals at this tournament as he did in 30 Eredivisie games for PSV this season. Uh, Taylor, let's get your thoughts on uh, Mm -hmm.
2: Netherlands' win here. Pretty comfortable, as I say. I'd even say it could have been by a larger margin. Yeah, I I would not disagree. And I would say part of that is the way Austria approached this game. I think uh, Foda, their manager got a couple of different things wrong starting with uh, devin Alaba and where he he played this game because starting at the heart of the fence I understand why they wanted him there theoretically but I think for if you're trying to have so, some way to alleviate what the the Dutch are gonna like basically bring when it comes to their attack you need a player who's comfortable on the ball who can help transition into attack but then also Keep the ball under pressurized situations, and when you're putting, I would say, your best player all the way back at center back, maybe that helps with distribution, but it also, in this case, leads to a penalty being conceded, not necessarily saying that that's David Alaba playing out of position or anything like that, because obviously he can play center back, but... When I saw him at the heart of the defense, it told me right away, okay, so they're not going to have nearly as much attacking presence as I would have hoped for. So it does seem like it's going to be more of a bunker and then counter situation. And that felt like it was always going to favor the Dutch, who for their part... I thought just played a very good game from mostly start to finish. We had more of those instances of players being subbed off and maybe some chances that shouldn't have been there uh, for Austria because the Dutch were trying different things or sort of maybe we got a little bit selfish near the end, some of the players. But I thought their overall collective approach, especially in the first half, it did feel like once that first goal went in or once that penalty was given, that was all she wrote.
5: Joe, Frank de Boer masterclass, right? Right? Yeah. It it wasn't a masterclass but not a bad game, right? I mean this is it's still too early to say, you know, that my my take that this team's actually pretty good from from their first game. It's still too early to validate that claim. And there are still issues with this team and, and weird things with how they play sometimes, but I thought this was a good performance from the Netherlands. I thought they came out and, and pretty comprehensively beat a decent team in Austria. I mean they only allowed one shot on target. In This entire game and in the first half there were no shots on target for Austria and just two total shots the Netherlands neutralized the two best players for Austria Marcel Sabitzer and David Alaba they they pressed with a front three with uh, Weghorst and Depay and Wijnaldum as that front three pressing up against Austria's three center backs and so that really limited the ability for Alaba to play the the regista role that he kind of stumbled into against North Macedonia in their first game even as that center center back Alaba was able to do some things in Austria's first game. But with that 3v3 at the back, he wasn't able to do much of anything at all until he shifted out to left center back again in the 70-something minute in this game like mm-hmm. he did in game one. So, I mean, the Netherlands approached this game very well. I didn't think they looked as defensively vulnerable as they did in the later stages of that game against Ukraine. They did some nice things with the ball. I mean, there was a lot to like here from this Frank DeBoer team.
3: Sure, they were was it just me or were they playing on the counter a bit more than I'd expect from the Netherlands as well?
5: Yeah, yeah, they didn't dominate the ball totally in this game. I mean, they had 47% possession, so they didn't even have the majority of the ball. And part of that's due to game state, right? When you go up early in the game, then you don't need to have as much of the ball and then you go up by another goal later on and, and then you really don't need to have as much of the ball. But I think this team is flexible in that they have the personnel to break down a block, I think, I'm not entirely sure about that yet, but they have Winaldum and De Jong and Depay who are all really good in tight spaces. But they also have Winaldum and De Jong and Depay and, and Dumfries and Van Holt who can get forward quickly in transition and cause you a ton of problems there. That's where the second goal comes from. Depay brings the ball down in midfield and then plays Daniel Malin in behind, and then it's a little slipped ball over to Dumfries for the FIFA tap-in goal, right? This team can beat you in a lot of different ways. They can also be beaten in a couple different ways, but so far, so good for the Netherlands.
3: Yeah, indeed. Uh, Graham, how hot are the Dutch for you? <laughs>
4: uh, I'm never going to get over that, I don't think. <laughs> uh, I, I thought the big, one of the biggest difference for the Netherlands was uh, Matthijs de Ligt coming into that, into that team, and I, I just feel like him... Going into that into that back three, just just all of a sudden, a lot of the gaps at the back were were not there. I liked the positivity positivity of the centre back setting the tone in the first half. The was 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 um, driving forward. He, he did that in the lead up to the penalty. Dilly Blind was always on the, on the front foot, so I liked that the, the the performance the tone of the performance was set from there. I also liked a lot of what we saw between Wijnaldum and Frankie de Jong in the middle. I do wonder what Ronald Koeman, who was actually at the game. Was thinking watching that, given that that could have been some of the good stuff for Barcelona hmm. next season. Um, and so I thought that their their um, the the way they know how to you know when to press and when not to, and and how to control things, and also when to run the channels. When Aldon was doing that a lot, I, I just thought there was a lot of intelligence in the in their performance. But in in terms of Austria, and sorry to to change tack a little bit, I personally thought this was the. I don't know if worst is the right word, but this was the performance that has annoyed me most in the whole tournament so far Agreed. from Austria. Turkey, right? We've all spoken about Turkey in the first game, but that's the first game, and they can they can make um, alterations, and they did make some alterations against Wales. I know they were pulling that game. This was the same game again for Austria, where Alaba starts at the back, it doesn't have an influence on the game. They then move them forward, further forward, and uh, midway through the second half, and oh, all of a sudden things are looking a lot better. And Sabitzer is uh, ahead of Alaba, and there's more movement there, and it 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 was like the same thing played out again for Austria and Franco Foda did nothing about it and I I am borderline if I was an Austrian fan I would be furious I think with this performance and the decisions that were made by Franco Foda in this game because he learned nothing I know they won their first game but there was a lot wrong with that performance and they learned nothing
2: from it at all and I would say to echo what Graham said, not only did he not learn anything from the first game to the second, I would argue he didn't really learn that much in the game itself today. That yes, he ends up moving David Alaba forward. I wonder how much of that was him and how much of that was David Alaba being like, I've gotta do something. Please let me go at least try <laughs> yeah. a shot on goal. But I like like I'm it's messaged Joe at halftime to ask him, what are Aust- Austria doing? What was because the Because I kept trying What's it's that? Very high. The,
4: the high line. What was. And, you know, I can understand maybe if you try that for the first half and you go, okay, that didn't work. But then yep. Daniel Malin comes on after, what is it, 65 minutes? And Netherlands uh, the score their second goal from an Austrian. Uh, like an, ex- an insanely high Austrian defensive line. What is going yeah. on?
2: <laughs> and especially against the team that we've already been talking about with the Dutch, who have pace on pace on pace to be able to punish you if you want to do that. But then, like, even their shape was. I think I had it as, like, sometimes a 3 5 2, sometimes a 5 3 2. Sometimes it was like a 3-1-3-2, three, three, like one. It was a strange series, and, and I think what it came down to was they were trying to uh, spread out a little bit because I think they were – Joe, this was your point that I'm stealing now. The Dutch will <laughs> manmark on occasion, and I think like I saw Frankie de Jong, especially in the second half, sitting on Sabitzer a bit more. And so then Sabitzer would move to try to open up or try to pull Frankie de Jong out. But that does two things. Theoretically, it opens up space for somebody else to, to, to then attack, but if that player isn't attacking it, which I would argue Austria were not, it has taken some of your best players completely out of the play— and then you're not uh, capitalizing on that and in contrast what I saw from the Dutch and maybe the reason why they didn't have as much possession is similar to what I already said with Belgium that when they would get the ball sometimes they were slow in the build up sometimes they wanted to possess but oftentimes I saw them spread the field and that left Frankie de Jong sometimes unmarked in the middle sometimes in a 1v1 scenario but he could easily turn and play that ball forward and then there were the kind of patterns and sequences we would expect from a team like the Dutch where when a ball goes to one player's f- like feet somebody else should shows and then somebody else takes the the spot of that player who just moved and there's those sequences there that just you could see the difference in what the Dutch were doing to what Austria were trying to do and I never saw Austria really disrupt that or really cause that many problems to it and and so Ryan to go all the way back to your initial point like this could have been much much worse and that's where I come down with Graham as, as thinking this wasn't a very good performance from Austria at all also confused because Derek Ray who was doing the commentary here in the US began this game by saying Uh, we're watching two of the best teams in this tournament, which is not what I would have said about Austria. So maybe that was just him overhyping, but maybe that influenced it. But I was like, all right, maybe it's two of the best teams. Let's see what happens. And I did not see one of the best teams in this tournament.
3: He was watching France Germany on replay on his phone, I think, when he was doing the intro. That was probably <laughs> that uh, what was going sense. on there, Taylor.
2: Um, <laughs> and I love Derek Ray. I was confused by it.
3: Yeah, I love it too. I, I, I just I'm very keen to listen to his pronunciations because he's he's like the Jedi master of pronunciations in these European Championships. I'm very uh, very keen on that. Um, <laughs> we, we saw some good um, good stuff here from the Netherlands. Obviously, Donny Marlon, I think, might have added another zero to whatever price Liverpool or Dortmund or whoever's going to buy him is going to pay. Uh, I suppose my final question on this. Joe is uh something I brought up earlier. Are, 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 are this this Netherlands team look good, but are they going to get exposed when they face a higher caliber opposition as they go through this tournament? Is there any Quite, is there anything that worries them? Worries you about them?
5: Yeah, yeah, there are little things that worry me. We've talked about the man marking nature of how they defend sometimes and Austria aren't this possession team who's going to break that apart, and they they really struggle to find space, especially for Sabitz, or really their attacking playmaker on that left side. They struggle to exploit that man marking for their own benefit. There are teams in this competition who will do that. If you come up, I don't I don't know what the the map of this tournament looks like in the knockout rounds, but if you come up against a Belgium or against a Spain or or, or a number of other teams. That's that's hard. That's hard to, to come back from that. You can be burned when you're man-marking in that way because I don't know that the Netherlands are especially good at man-marking against a high-caliber team. My other concern is... I mentioned before how I think they can break through a lower defensive block, but I'm not totally sure. Ukraine don't play a low defensive block, and they certainly don't do it at a Sweden level or anything like that, and in Austria don't do that either. So we are yet to see the Netherlands in this tournament be able to break through a low, compact, disciplined defensive shape and actually create chances and score goals. So two, two real question marks for this team right now that we could see we could see them struggle to to actually accomplish those things later on in this tournament.
2: I would I would add one more thing Joe uh, and it's basically just Nathan AK uh, and I want us like like Like, focus on him for a second because it reminded me of, it's like a little kid. No, the better one would be Michael Scott. Michael Scott in the office, like, dunking on the lowered rim and thinking he's like awesome. (laughs) And then they raise the rim and suddenly you realize like maybe he's not that good. And Nathan Akay is an excellent footballer, but in this game, especially in the second half, and maybe it was a situational thing, but I saw him slow down on a couple different occasions and really kind of take extra touches and look for, look for passes and look for passes and then go on a dribble and then look for a pass again and then eventually lay it off. And also, at times, he was receiving the ball without really checking and making sure that he had time to settle in turn. And again, to Joe's point, against Austria, maybe you can get away with that. Against a team that's going to press as a more cohesive unit or try to disrupt that or maybe even try to isolate a K and recognize that he can be got at. That would be a thing that I think maybe, maybe it's just this game and there was a little bit of looseness near the end. But I would, if I were playing them in the knockout round, go at him and see what happens. To be fair, I think Ako's
3: played as many games in this tournament as he did for City last season. Or thereabouts. <laughs> Let's be fair to him.
2: I forgot he was
4: at
3: City. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He, yeah, we got a little reminder, I think, towards the end of the season that he existed. And another one here, a pleasant one, of course. Uh, Nathan <laughs> O'Kay, good player, as Taylor mentioned. Uh, the Netherlands, of course, getting the win there. 2-0 over Australia. That guarantees then passage to the next round, which will infuriate Austin Powers' father, played by Michael Kane in gold member, of course. He's uh, he's not a fan of the Dutch, as we wow. know. Shall we uh, take a quick look ahead to tomorrow's games, gentlemen? In Group E, starting off the day, uh, Joe Lowry's alarm clock's going off bright and early for Sweden against... <laughs> Against Slovakia, um, this is one that I might not have been savoring before the tournament started. But seeing how Slovakia are better than I thought they would be, uh, Graham, I'm, I'm actually quite up for this one.
4: Yeah, and and I think Sweden as well. I want to see. I, th- I know that they offered very little in an attacking sense against Spain, but I I, I thought they they made a decent start to the tournament in terms of their organized organization and everything. So. Yes I, th- I think this could be quite a quite I, I don't think there'll be much between the two teams the, the thing for Sweden that I'm looking to is uh, I was reading Kulosevsky is is back in their squad and it this game might come too soon for him but if he can, the He's obviously at Juventus, Juventus winger, wide man. He could make a massive difference in linking the Swedish midfield and uh, Alexander Izak in attack. And also meaning that Alexander Izak doesn't have to play alongside Marcus Berg for a second game uh, and miss all the chances that he creates. So, yeah, between these two teams, I am actually quite looking forward to this game. in Slovakia, as you mentioned there, made a good impression in their first game.
3: Yeah, although now I say that, I think Slovakia need pretty much one point to guarantee passage and against Sweden, maybe, oh no, Sweden need more points than that, maybe they'll go for it a bit more. We'll see how that one pans out, gents, but the other game, uh, the the middle game tomorrow, uh, it's the derby of teams I've confused with one another since 1996, Croatia against the Czech Republic. Taylor, your
2: thoughts on that one? Uh, first of all, me too. Uh, so no judgment there. Uh, this is another really interesting game for me, and it's like a double scale tipper because we get to find out if Croatia are bad or if England are very good, and we get to find out if the Czechs uh, were that good or the Scots were that poor. Uh, because I th- I still feel like Croatia have a lot of talent and can be a very good team that could make a run in this tournament. We saw enough from the Czechs against Scotland to have some thoughts on maybe they can be more like of a surprise team, and they do seem like they're coming in with a game plan that makes sense including scoring from midfield which is always a positive thing Uh, but I'm going to be paying special attention to Croatia because I do think they will make uh, some changes uh, and I have a feeling much as it pains me from what I have read there's enough sort of like and this could happen and this could happen from a number a number of different sources that makes me think it will happen is that uh, Brozovic is likely to be dropped or could be dropped and that would mean a double pivot of Mateo Kovacic and Luka Modric then you've got Modric deeper on the ball more regularly and I think that can only only be good things for Croatia that probably means Nikola Vlasic takes his his spot more central and I think we will see a little freshening up of the Croatia squad and then maybe we see what they look like in 2018 or maybe we see more of the same and we get some answers to that one and I think for the Czechs going up against no disrespect to Graham Scotland but a, a stronger opponent that doesn't have one of its key players injured I think will also tell us even more about the Czechs.
3: Graham you just called Croatia stronger than Scotland did you hear that?
2: I did hear
4: that I did hear that but I, I can't have any complaints they won the game that mattered despite the fact we've beaten them twice in the last 12 months but anyway I'll tell let's medicine. just make it this
2: whichever team more recently went to a World Cup final will say is the better team how about that <laughs> okay so not the USA then <laughs> I said final, not finals, Graham.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Jerk. (laughs) Well, um, Taylor, Crozier against the Czech Republic, the uh, midday Eastern game tomorrow. You were using that as a broma to decide um, if England are bad or good and Scotland are bad or good. There's another game coming later where we can get an opinion on that as well. Uh, 3 p.m. Eastern, the big one, certainly for at least 50% of this podcast. England, uh, second win in the European Championships over Scotland in my lifetime, coming at 3 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. Graham, how are you feeling about this one? Because I feel like your opinion and your thoughts and hopes have changed a little bit, maybe with some recent news as well.
4: Yep. So Steve Clark today, I'm actually smiling, uh, t- telling you this. But st- <laughs> Steve Clark today, not that I'm pinning my hopes on one player or anything, but Steve Clark today confirmed that Kieran Tierney will be fit to play against England. And look, that I'll, what I'll say is, he might, uh, he might make a massive difference to this team. He could make a massive difference to this team. Scotland's problem against Czech Republic was that we couldn't get out from the back, and Tierney, that's what Tierney does for us. So we're just a a, a much more dynamic team. Uh, and I'm hopeful that he will make a big difference. But, you know, it is going to be a tall order against country that won the World Cup in 2002 and in 2006 and in 2010 and in 2014 and 2018. Uh, you know, they've won all these tournaments, uh, like, this, this England team.
3: Just but, you because know, we invented they, it doesn't mean we won it every time, Graham. I don't think right. that's, that's not how it works.
4: Okay, didn't you win Euro 96 as well? I think that, that one, England won that one. No, but seriously, that, this this probably is... Um, England's tournament. Like they are one of the one of the front runners. The only thing that can stop them are Penenka penalties, poorly chosen training bases, winking Portuguese wingers, Phil Neville giving away penalties, <laughs> home fans booing you, wags, Glenn Hoddle, Kevin Keegan, sven Gorn Eriksson, <laughs> Steve McLaren Fabio Capello, Capello, Rob Green, Germany, ghost goals and penalty shootouts. But other than that, I don't think you've got anything to worry about, Ryan. Graham just oh emptied God. the tank.
3: The tank is on, empty.
4: <laughs> i did say I was saving them up. <laughs> oh, that was great.
3: Well, I'm glad you used them t- today, Graham, because you might have, of course, to use them tomorrow. So uh, congratulations. Yeah, that's
4: tomorrow. why. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, why I used them today.
3: <laughs> so Gary Lineker is the uh, anchor host of the uh, BBC Match of the Day coverage. Oh. He is paid more by the BBC than the BBC pay for all Scottish soccer coverage. Yeah, we're uh, aware just, of that. Just a little context <laughs> for you there about um, who should be put away in their little box after tomorrow's game. Um, I, I'm I'm very interested to see how England uh, square up in this, one. obviously there's, there's a lot of pressure on this game. In terms of how England are going to line up, it's very interesting. This is big narrative about Jack Grealish getting on the field. He, who is not aware of encyclopaedias, or at least he wasn't. Um, whether he, you know, comes in for Sterling, I, I'm, I could be, I could see the argument for that, just for nostalgia's sake, because obviously he's, you know, he he could be that Paul Gascoigne um, kind of player. Who um, what happened last time um, England played Scotland in this <laughs> tournament at Wembley? Graham,
4: I don't know. You never mention it. England <laughs> as a nation never mention what happened in Euro '96 against Scotland.
3: Anyway, i would be hoping for something more like that. I mean, there's—I, to be frank, I'd be happy with a pretty similar lineup to the. the, the
4: (laughs) I'd be happy with this. This is definitely the tensest it's got so far.
2: (laughs) Oh, uh, we're all. I felt that way when I made an innocuous joke about Scotland, and Graham lashed
3: out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I I don't know how you guys feel about how England will set up uh, but I feel like a pretty similar approach to against Croatia I would I'd even I think that as I mentioned maybe the two question marks the Kieran Trippier and Raheem Sterling on the left side I'd keep them there maybe I could see an argument for Grealish I could see an argument for uh, Luke Shaw coming in there anyone feel any differently about how the setup should be
4: Ryan, I'll ask your opinion. What would you would you play Harry Maguire tomorrow? Because he is apparently he is fit. Would you start him? Bring him on. What what what's your thoughts on him? How how much do England need him for later in the tournament when things when it gets serious.
3: It's a good question. I, and One part of my mind thinks if aim broke, don't fix it. And Tyron Mings did a pretty decent job, I'd say, in that opening game. So why why change things? But at the same time, if Harry Maguire is the first choice, you want to get him in as soon as possible. That's not an answer. It's just saying there two options, wasn't it? <laughs> I'd say I'd say, if he's fit, he almost certainly starts. I think Southgate loves him, doesn't he? So uh, I, I think probably he would, right? Ryan,
2: let me, let me ask you this then. Like, I, I promise this isn't more shade for Graham. Graham, I promise. But, like, w- we're building this up. And it's obviously not just because it's, it's Ryan is English and Graham is Scottish. And there is ob- Wait, obviously, really? like, a lot of rivalry between the <laughs> two. But do you think the players care about that rivalry? And I'm asking because is there an argument that maybe Gareth Southgate looks at this as we're playing the team that were beaten to nail by the team we have to play in the last group stage game? So maybe we will take it a little bit easy and then we'll really go for it against the Czechs. I'm building towards, is there a chance that maybe the England players or the England team does overlook this Scotland team a little bit? Or do you think because of the historical connections, the historical relationship, they will be as up for it as they would be otherwise?
3: I think, I'd be interested in Graham's view on this as well, but I think the players do appreciate the importance of it. Because, you know, there's there's some proximity between these two nations, of course. Uh, And I think, you know, when you're an Arsenal player... You pay attention to the North London derby. You pay attention to playing Tottenham, regardless of who's who, St. Tottenham's day mm. or what's happening that season. I think it's still a pretty important and culturally, Graham. It's 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 a big deal, right?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I from I can't really speak so much from the England side of things. How much they? I, I always feel like England maybe looks to like Germany or France or Argentina, Argentina as a. As a as a bigger rivalry but for for Scotland this is this is the big one i mean we we played scotland it we played england in a in a friendly at wembley a number of years ago and and it was like the biggest scotland game in a number of years despite the fact that it was it was a friendly so from the scotland side of things yeah this th- this is, uh, they'll be going 100 miles an hour at, at this game. For the England side of things, it wouldn't surprise me to see Southgate change things up a little bit and, and rotate a, a few of his options, but the nature of the England squad
3: is it's strong everywhere pretty much, so I think uh, they'll still be pretty, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think, I, I think also, Taylor, to answer your question a bit further, I don't think. England takes Scotland lightly by any means, just because of the, the the weight of the rivalry. And it's I mean we've had the better of the rivalry in, in recent occasions, I would say. But it's it's not it's this is not a given. This is not scrappy do being held back. Let me, Adam, bloody Adam. They're not they're not the little guy here. Well, I'm being too nice about Scotland. We're much yeah. better. But hey. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, you get are, my point we are the
4: little we are the little guy we're the we're the Everton in the Merseyside Derby I think it's like e- Everton yeah. always look at Liverpool as their big rivals but Liverpool maybe look at Manchester United and more recently Man City as But uh, and that's fine to say like we, we're happy to be Everton <laughs> uh, just hope that our, we're maybe a bit more successful in this rivalry that, than Everton are in their
3: rivalry against Liverpool and obviously this is the oldest international fixture so there is a lot of history here i'm interested maybe maybe taylor and joe you can have an opinion is this how how is how does the us view this from a from a non-biased from a non-english non-scottish person's view is it like brazil argentina do you feel like it's hyped as much as that
5: yeah, for me it's 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 not really. And this my perspective I'm sure is different than Taylor's even and certainly different than yours. But for me this is obviously a very historic game with with two teams that go back for a long time, but because it has been one-sided recently because England have much more top-tier talent, I don't look at this game as being even really more exciting than really any of the games that we see in the group of death in this tournament, right? In Group F, Portugal Germany on Saturday to me is a much bigger draw than England Scotland, but I, and that's not to say I'm not excited about this game. It's just a different animal for me.
2: Yeah, that's about where I am with it. I think I'm I am definitely very excited for it uh, because I think I like I've. I do have more of that interest in the historical, uh like so, sort of cultural connections and what that clash is going to look like. But I think, Ryan, to your original question, like, no, because again, no disrespect, but Scotland aren't Argentina and Brazil kind of aren't. Uh, or England kind of aren't Brazil. So I think wow. it ends up being an interesting one for the historical narrative and for knowing that maybe uh, your fan bases don't love each other. Uh, but I think from an on-field perspective, it feels mostly like England will probably roll this and like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll check it out. But I think there's probably not as much of an appointment viewing as, they, it's probably the most appointment viewing game of the day. But I would say from, like, an on-field perspective, I don't think that there's going to be a ton of interest in, like, will Kieran Tierney be fit? I think there will be on this show, certainly, and probably for people who listen to this show. But broadly speaking, I doubt ESPN are leading their coverage with that.
3: Yeah. And I think it's, it's a curious rivalry as well, because when I look at the other home nations, I like Wales. I like Northern Ireland. I really don't like Scotland. And I think it's, I think it's because... I just feel like they need to be put in their place. They think they're better than they are, whereas wow. Wales know
2: what they are. Northern Ireland yeah, know. We think we think
4: T-
3: we're <laughs> we are
4: better than we are. Are you kidding me on?
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's tough to see why most of Europe doesn't
3: like the English right now. Uh, I mean, there's plenty of non-soccer reasons for that, Tete. That's for
2: sure. That is for sure. Whatever do you mean, Ryan? Uh, it's it's still strange to me that you guys are uh, competing in the Euros. <laughs> It, uh, don't make me cry please not today
3: <laughs> not today I'll save my tears for tomorrow um, anyway I think that's just about enough we've run quite long on that I think I've, I've wound Graham up quite enough in the last few minutes <laughs> I apologise for that Mr Ruthven. Uh, in the meantime Graham thank you very much for your time I look forward to our little post game chat tomorrow yes good luck not really <laughs> but <laughs> oh that was a very forced handshake there
2: Graham thank you very much <laughs> Taylor Rockwell pleasure as always sir uh, I certainly hope nothing bad happens to you or your family. I'm doing my Graham impression. Uh, thank, thank you, Ryan, and best of luck to oh you both gosh. tomorrow. Joe Lowry,
3: amazing as always. Thank you, sir. Uh, thank you, Ryan. It's coming home. Bye!